Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. This is the very last episode of season nine, and we are bringing this to you today with a heavy heart because this is a case that has stuck with both of us very significantly. I know most of the time when I'm telling you a story, it's something Jasmine hasn't heard about, but we have discussed this case in so much depth. So we are um, excited is not the right word, but we are we we just want to share this story like yeah i want to piss more people off because it's ridiculous that i mean this whole case is just ridiculous and we both feel a very certain way about it and it's crazy to me that not more people know about this case so we want as many people to know about this as possible and get as many eyes on it as possible so please even if it's not this episode, share Julia's story, because today we're talking about Julia Davis. Sources for this episode are Investigation Discovery, News and Sentinel, Marietta Times, Justice for Julia, which is a Facebook page that's run by Kim Davis, her mother. And there is a lot of good information on there that she had retrieved via the Freedom of Information Act. There's also a ton of good pictures on there. So if you want a visual of any of the people that we talk about or of any of the areas that we're talking about, it's a really good resource. So definitely check that out. I also want to mention, I did listen to... Uh, two episodes, I think it was, of Mile Marker 181. Now, that podcast is by Emily Nestor, and she was working with the family briefly to do like an investigation style podcast. And it things got really ugly, for lack of a better word. Um, I read a lot of criticism from Julia's mother about the podcast, because apparently Emily's narrative changes throughout and she ends up disrespecting the family. So when I discovered that, I decided to stop listening. Um, But I did obtain a little bit of information from the first two episodes. So I do need to give her credit there because she does interview Kim Davis. But I just want to say, do not recommend that podcast because what that girl did is not okay. So that being said. Yeah, it's always like a bad, it's, it's not a great time for you to sit there and do something like this on, you know, a person and then just totally just come out on the other end like just in on bad terms with their family like that that just shows your character right at the end of the day like why would you do that like this is somebody's child family member friend and like you're literally talking to somebody who's directly involved with this person and for you to switch around your narrative like that it's it's not okay it's really shitty. Right. And if you feel a certain way about it, that's perfectly fine. Don't involve yourself with the family. Why would you do that? Right, exactly. That's like, you know, we sit here and we, we like, we feel our different types of ways about these cases, but like, we're not directly involving ourselves with each and every one of these cases, like family members or friends most of the time. And if we were, it wouldn't be for somebody who's not to say side we weren't on but really that's what it feels like it's okay well you you know if you're doing an investigational style podcast for julia davis like we are doing this you know singular episode on julia davis it's because we feel a certain way for julia davis and we feel bad for her and we want her story to be shared because especially in the season where we're saying you know we think these cases are homicides even though they weren't ruled that way 
like that's like us at the end of the episode saying you know of course there's always going to be a little bit of gray area but that's like us saying well no obviously this was an accident like no that literally defeats the purpose of the entire thing that you're doing here so please if you're ever going to be doing it's hard it's hard to sometimes not offend certain people but it's very easy to not point fingers at a victim and that is what it seems like she did. I, I did not listen to it, like I said, all the way through. But from my understanding from what Kim Davis had said is that Emily basically shat on the family. So yeah, it's like really disrespectful at the end of the day. Um, investigative work, when you're doing an investigation, like your emotions and your personal feelings are not supposed to be included in that investigation. Right. And if you're doing one to be like to advocate for somebody, then it should be all for that person, regardless. No. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, I feel like if we're like now, if you're just like like we do, like we have our personal opinions about everything. But like at the same time, we're not we're we're doing in. How can I explain it? We're doing you're doing you because you're the main one. (laughs) You do all this investigative work. Um, and then we discuss it, but I don't, how can I, it just, I don't we're know saying a to... lot of words just to try to simply yeah. say, I do not recommend listening to that podcast because basically she <laughs> made it about her and it's not about her. Right. Never so, lose sight and focus on from the victim. Yes. So that being said, I do want to give a trigger warning for the episode. There is going to be an alcohol related incident. So if that is a touchy subject for you, I please, um, I warn you to listen with discretion and I want to first, this is, this is kind of hard because there's so much information that is in this case in such a small amount of time. So what I want to do is I want to give you an overview of the story that aligns with the police's version of events. And then I'm going to go through a lot of witness statements. So we're going to be backtracking a lot. So, and there's going to be a lot of names in here. So, you know, I encourage you to try to pay the best of attention as you can to those names. And a lot of those details, you're going to see a lot of inconsistencies throughout this entire story. And those inconsistencies are very important. So take note of them when you notice something. Jasmine, if you notice something, point it out. Okay, we'll do. Absolutely. So this story starts in Marietta, Ohio. Julia Davis was born on November 2nd, 1991. So on November 18th, 2011, when she was 20 years old, around 5 or 6 p.m., she left her house to spend the night with some friends, Kristen Betchtold, Jordan Campbell, Freddie Scott, and Katie Nelson. Other people will later be involved. Julia was planning on spending the night at Kristen's house, whom she only knew for a few months. Julia was texting her mother, Kim, and her younger sister, Toby, throughout the evening. At 3.28 a.m., Julia called Toby for a ride from the BP gas station. During the phone call, Toby heard Julia say to Kristen, give me my keys, and she heard Kristen in the background. Toby asked her what's wrong, and Julia said, I'll tell you when you get here. Five minutes later, at 3.33 a.m., Julia called Toby back to make sure she was on the way. She told her to pick her up at a rest stop instead of the BP gas station, which was just over the border in West Virginia. Toby says Julia sounded hysterical and she was crying. Toby, who had a friend over, departed the house with that friend to meet Julia. 
when she arrived at the rest stop, Julia's car wasn't there. So she decided to drive towards the direction in which Julia would have been coming, hoping that they would come across her. And they did, but it wasn't what anybody would wish for. Tommy came across her sister's car, which was running with the headlights on, but Julia wasn't inside. Julia was next to the guardrail, one-fifth of a mile away, decapitated, naked from the waist up, and her right breast was removed and her leg was broken, and she was deceased. The first of several 911 calls occurred at 3.41 a.m. It was later determined that Julia died at approximately 3.40 a.m. Toby called Kim's mom, who was at their house. Toby was screaming in the phone and told her that Julia was dead. Kim didn't even know that Toby had left the house at this point in time, so she was in complete shock. When she got to the scene, there were only two emergency vehicles. She saw a sheet laying over what she assumed was Julia's body, but she said it wasn't shaped like a body. She got out of the car and began walking towards the body when EMTs told her to get back into her car. As she sat there, taking in the scene, Kim recalls blood being everywhere, brain matter being scattered on the highway, guardrail, and Julia's car. And she remembers questioning why so few police were at the scene. I find that kind of surprising myself. Right. I assume, like, whenever Tobby called, like, her, like, you know, she's in just, like, hysteria. Like, I don't know. I guess it's, like, I've never been, like, an EMT worker or anything or, like, a dispatcher. So, I guess, like, maybe they can't. Like, they can only take people's, like, hysteria by, like, a grain of salt in a way. Like, they may, they may think they're, like, overreacting or something. But, like, I feel like even then, as soon as the the first responder got to that site and seen how Jalea was, like, why not call for backup? That's, like, that's a gruesome-ass scene right there. Right. And Toby was not the first person to stumble across Julia, which we'll get to momentarily. But so they already had people on the way at that point in time. So when you get multiple 911 calls for something like this, to me, only having two emergency vehicles there, it seems very little because you'll see there will be like like a car accident where somebody's bumper just gets ripped off and there's like three cops and an ambulance and a fire truck that you're like, really? All this is here for this? That's blocking the entire road? Right, like I literally like a few weeks a few weeks ago, there was like four. We were on our way to Jacksonville, and there was like four or five like state troopers, not even just county cops, but like state troopers who pulled over one car off of the side of the highway. So like you're telling me at a scene like this, there weren't going to be more than you said only two, right? Um, she said two emergency vehicles, yes, yeah. and, and just a few police officers. And, you know, Kim sat there for a long time. It's not like she was there and then she left and maybe more people showed up. Like, Kim stayed there. That's that her daughter. Wild. Yeah. So, and, you know, and this is, she said that directly in an interview that was in that podcast that I do not recommend. So that's, like, directly from the source that she's saying, like, nobody else was there. Like, why is nobody else here? 
Like, why is this, like, not being treated like a big deal? It's kind of how I feel. Right. And I totally agree with that. Like, obviously, you want it to be a big deal because that's your child. But at the end of the day, the scene is... It's a big deal. Right. Just within itself, it's a big fucking deal. Right. And nobody else is acting like it really matters. Right. Exactly. It's kind of what it feels like from the beginning. And honestly, in my opinion, it continues to feel that way. But, you know, we'll see what everybody else thinks when we're done. So Julia's teeth were on the ground at the scene and they were collected for identification. Kim and Toby were never asked to identify Julia's body. In fact, Kim never actually saw Julia's body. After several hours, a coroner gave a description to Kim of Julia, confirming that it was her daughter. Julia was formally identified by a medical examiner via her teeth and Kim found this out on the news. Nobody contacted her to let her know about the confirmed identification. And after this, Julia was cremated. So she literally never saw her body. That raises a fuck ton of red flags for me. Well, and see, it might be that she didn't want to see her body, but that wasn't the impression that I got. That's really would be ha- would have to be a question that we would have to ask her. But the fact that mm-hmm. she wasn't brought in to formally identify her is kind of strange to me. Right. I I can't say that I would want to see, like, obviously, I would never, ever in a million years imagine having to go through this or want to, therefore, have to identify my child in that way. But I feel like as a parent, I want to see my child before we have to essentially get rid of their body, like, before we bury them, before we cremate them. Like, me as a parent, I would want to, I would want to see Yeah, I think that I would need that for closure. And like I said, it might not be true for everybody. Like Kim may not have wanted to, but she did make a point to say that she never saw her body. So investigators spent a little over a year looking into this case. And here's what they came up with. Julia was driving and ejected from the window and struck the guardrail. She was then hit by a tractor trailer. Her death was ruled an accident with alcohol as a contributing factor. Her blood alcohol content was 0.19. The legal driving limit is 0.08 here in the U.S. And I'm saying this just to show her condition as police saw it, not because I'm in any way making any accusation or blame on Julia or the alcohol. That's just, you know, it's the same matter of factly. So let me quickly reiterate her physical condition. Um, I know that I can never forget this, but just in case anybody wasn't paying enough attention the first time. She was naked from the waist up. She was decapitated. Her right breast was removed and one of her legs was broken. And what I didn't previously mention is that Julia's clothes were neatly folded on the guardrail next to her. Her bra was on top of her shirt, which was hanging next to her white coat, which had blood splattered on it. So Kim's father actually took several pictures the next day because the police didn't clean up or protect the scene. The pictures are available on Justice for Julia Facebook page. I highly recommend looking at this page. I will make a link for it in our show notes so that you can get easy access to that. Kim's dad is the one who photographed the acceleration and skid marks on the highway, not police. And the acceleration marks lead away from where her body is in a pool of blood was. So one of the truck drivers who pulled over gave a statement saying that the scene didn't look right, given the blood splatter and the jacket. And he said of it, quote, 
you could see the blood trail like it was skidding over to the passing lane. There was blood and brain matter on the roof of the car, the trunk, and the front corner of the car. The doors of the car were locked, the driver's side airbag was deployed, and Julia's cell phone was in the driver's side door. There was no glass in Julia's hair, even though she flew out and broke a window. No glass in her hair. So Julia and her friends left the club around 3 a.m. and went to someone's house where Julia's car was. Freddie told Kristen and Katie that he would give them a ride. Police were able to confirm that Freddie was at a McDonald's drive-thru at 3.28 a.m. Nicole Diaz Wooten didn't leave the club at the same time, and she'll be coming into play shortly. The last three calls on Julia's phone were to Toby at 3.28 a.m., 3.33 a.m., and 3.36 a.m. No other record of anyone's phones who were involved in this night have been traced or are available if they had been traced. There's literally no mention of it anywhere. So there's a lot of shit that's going on right now that's like not rubbing me the right way at all. Like what? Um, everything. Um, I'm just trying to be a smartass, but like the cops don't preserve a fucking crime scene, a potential crime scene. Like, like you, I don't, I don't understand that. And then like her grandpa had to be the one to take pictures that you think the the police would have to take for their investigation. Like right. it, it's wild. And I actually, um. Ever since we first talked about this case, I started, you know, following the Justice for Jalea page on Facebook. So that's where I'm looking at right now. And, like, they have took it into their own hands to, you know, do the arrows and highlight different things, like, in the, um, like, where the accident and stuff was. So, like, that's, that's amazing that they did that. But right. it's just, it's just fucking wild. You're, like... I'm having to investigate my own child's, you know, potential cause murder, of death, right? Potential murder, and I like I'm a novice to this potentially. Like you, fucking have years and years of investigation, like you know, work that you've done, and here I am having to do your job for you. Like, right? There's not, just no like, reason. There's no, no reason for it. Where is the justice? Like it's fucking baffling. Even if nothing did happen, like, and this legitimately was an accident, there's no reason that nobody took pictures of the scene and that the scene wasn't preserved. There's literally no reason for it. Right. Doesn't matter what the situation is. How are you not, how are you going to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to not take a look at any of this. This can't, this can't possibly be important. Right. Oh, it's fine. It was a accident. Whatever. It's over with. I don't I don't care about that. Like, that's just literally how it feels at this mo at this point in time. So I can't even imagine how our mom feels. Exactly. Observations made about the scene by the police stated this quote. The vehicle was sitting against the guardrail, idling in drive, with the dome light and headlights on and the doors locked. Observation of the exterior surface of the vehicle revealed the front windshield on the passenger side was fractured and the front passenger side of the window had been shattered out. There was extensive damage to the entire passenger side of the vehicle and both tires on the passenger side were blown out. 
The vehicle had evidence of blood on the rear passenger side of the roof, close to the rear window, and extensive blood on the trunk area that had ran over the edge onto the bumper area. Further examination of the vehicle proved negative for any evidence of paint transference from another vehicle and or foreign matter, such as hair, fibers. Initial observation of the interior of the vehicle in question showed the driver's side airbag deployed. The stereo was on, but the CD had been ejected and was standing open. There were personal effects lying on the front passenger seat, indicating that there was no passenger, which is further supported by data by the data recorder on the vehicle. The passenger side front windshield had been fractured from inside, and the A post revealed a crack in it. The victim's cell phone was recovered from the pocket on the driver's side door. Also, the heat was turned on. Accident investigators on the scene concurred that after the point of impact, the the victim's vehicle traveled approximately three-tenths of a mile north on I-77, which was consistent with momentum of a vehicle traveling 70 miles per hour, rolling down a slight grade, and due to the angle of the road and the passenger side tires having been blown out at impact, rolling down on the berm. Observed on the scene was shattered glass at the location where the victim's vehicle impacted with the guardrail. There were shattered glass both at the scene and inside the vehicle in question. The victim's upper garments had been ripped and torn by the guardrail slash vehicle and remained hanging on the guardrail. There was obvious blood, tissue matter, skull bone, etc. located on the scene as well as tire marks. Also, according to investigators, there is, quote, evidence of airbag residue on Miss Davis. So (laughs) I just want to point something out real quick that stood out to me. Which window did they say was shattered? They said the front one, the passenger. Passenger. Yes, they said that she flew out through the passenger window. Yes. So let me get this straight, because they're saying there's a, there's an indentation on the inside of the windshield on the passenger side, and the passenger uh, window is the one that's blown out. So you're telling me she was sitting in the driver's seat, because according to them, there was only one person in the car, and we'll get more into that in a moment, and that the driver's seat airbag is the only one that deployed, and she had airbag residue on her, but she simultaneously was able to fly out the passenger side window vertically? Horizontally? That's horizontal. Horizontally? Yeah. No, so, like, I was going to ask you the same fucking thing. Because it doesn't make any sense. So, the way... So, she was driving and that rail, that guardrail is on the passenger side of her car. Correct. So, on the right-hand side. So, you're saying... So, they're saying, like, I'm going to reiterate what you just said, is that she was driving. Somehow, she got out from the driver's side, hit, managed to hit her head on the passenger side of the window, leave a, a crack, and then go through the passenger door window? Yes. And the only thing that I can think of, because we don't know exactly what the cause of the crack is in the windshield. So I'm like, I'm trying to understand this. I'm like, are they saying, because they're saying that she flew, like maybe she had something in her hand that could have hit the window, but her phone was in the, like in the pocket on the left-hand side of the driver's side. 
Like it was right. like sitting in the pocket there by the door. So yeah. it wasn't her phone. Like it's not like her phone. She accidentally chucked it at the, you know what I mean? When the car, yeah. you know, hit. So it's like, okay, so you're telling me the airbag hit her. Has anybody, have you ever been, I was going to say, has anybody, can we have everybody in the room stand up if you've been right. hit by an airbag? That shit is no joke. I have not. That shit is no joke. Okay. It broke both my brother's wrists. Oh my he, when he was holding onto the steering wheel one time. Ugh. So, like, that shit is seriously no joke. So, and it burns. It burns the shit out of you. So, airbag residue is, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand what that means. And there's no specifications. Like, I would love to know exactly what that airbag residue is supposed to be. Because, in my mind, she should be burnt to shit in one spot where it hit her. And where did it hit her? Because if she's in the passenger seat, it's possible she can have like a little bit of residue from an airbag that didn't hit her directly. But if she got directly hit by the airbag, how is she flying vertical or horizontally? Why do I think that's vertical? Why is she flying horizontally out the window to the right? I can see that in the situation where you're hitting something and your right tire blows out and you fly to the right. That makes perfect sense. The airbag's where you lose me. And her being in the right. driver's seat is where you lose me. Right, her in because the passenger there was, seat, that makes sense. Uh, there was only the impact that because she she made impact on the guardrail, but that was it, right? To our knowledge at this point in time, yes. So, like, the only thing I can think of is like if she hit like the bumper at the right spot, it made the airbag deploy. But even then, like people hit guardrails all the time. And, like, hers was at, like, well, either way, like, she didn't, like, go, like, full, like, she didn't, like, drive into the guardrail, basically. Right, no. So, like, the fact that the airbag deployed, like, I I don't, I don't know. This whole thing is so confusing. And it's the way they're trying to, you know, spin this narrative for us. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. I just, and you know, they're, they're insistent that nobody was in the passenger seat because, you know, they're saying, well, there were belongings in the passenger seat. So, you know, when, when you get in the car as a woman, you carry a purse, whatever, you put that shit in the passenger seat when there's no passenger. I get where they're coming from there. You know, you can't make a full on assumption based on that, but I get that. And they're saying, well, the airbag didn't go off in the passenger seat. I get how you're coming to that conclusion. I just want you to explain to me how she flew out that window with the airbag going off. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Like, it's just like, like, I don't, I don't know. I can't even make it. Like, I can't even come up with like a devil's advocate reaction for you or anything. Cause it just doesn't, it doesn't seem plausible at all. It's not. Right. And also there's no glass in her hair. There was glass everywhere. There was glass in the road. There was glass in the seat. How come there's none in her hair? How come there's none in her person? Don't even get me started about her clothes coming off. That right there, that, that, hmm. The fact that her fucking clothes were folded and her jacket was literally on one of the guardrails just it's hanging. hanging. Like, I seen the picture. That shit is eerie as fuck. Seeing it is. That, that jacket just hanging there. Like, somebody, like, just... Right. And her bra's on top of her shirt. And so, or, like, there's no part of being... So, we can talk about, you know she's decapitated and she's missing a breast like we can there's an explanation for her leg which we'll get to you know in a little bit but you know we I can I can jive with that I can be like okay you know that's awful I could see how that could happen though if you impale a guardrail flying 
out of a car. Like I can see how something like that could happen. Both of them, I don't know. Her clothes coming off? No, I don't see it. I don't see how that's going to happen. Even if she was moving at such a rate that her jacket like somehow was flying off of her, it ain't hanging up on a guardrail, I'll tell you that. And also, why is there blood splatter on it? Because if there's blood splatter on it, it wasn't on your person. Because it's splatter. It's not blood droplets from her. It's literal splatter, which means that it was there when the blood hit it. And I and again, I can go with that. If she hits something hard enough that her breast is gonna get gonna get removed from her body and she's going at that angle. But again, we're saying this didn't happen flying out of her car because we're not talking about blood inside of her car. So I want you to keep that in mind too. So this had this had to have happened when she hit the guardrail. It didn't happen in the car. It didn't happen leaving the which makes sense to me actually that it would have happened exiting the vehicle because she's flying across the entire car in this scenario. But she's flying into a guardrail. Now you're saying we're gonna her she's gonna hit her head and her breast it's going to remove her clothes but she's not wedged between the guardrail like I want you to keep that in mind it's not like she flew in like wedged her way between the guardrail no like she's in she's to the side of it she's against it and her clothes are hanging next to her this is fucking me up like big time I keep looking at the pictures on the page because, like I said, her mom, like, is very transparent and literally shared a fuck ton of pictures, you know, of the crime scene. And it's it's really eerie seeing, seeing everything. And I, oh, fuck, I don't know. I don't know either. And I just, I like I said, I wish we could see that airbag residue too. So... Julia drove a Kia, and according to a company engineer representative, quote, on this particular model of car, the airbag system would unlock the doors automatically with airbag deployment. So according to tests done by Kia and the data recorder, there was no front passenger and the driver was not wearing a seatbelt at the time of impact. That being said, the car also had a diagnostic RAM that showed an error in passenger detection. So this means that the system was not functioning correctly and therefore the original data recorder that said that there was nobody in the passenger seat could reasonably conclusively say that there was nobody in the passenger seat because there was an error in it. Either way, what we do know is that the doors are meant to unlock when the airbag deploys. But the doors were locked. Right. That's weird. So that is weird. It's like, how how the hell are they supposed how how did they lock themselves unless it was like a faulty thing with the airbags because i mean that happens that's possible too and you know what's really interesting too is you know i think about it and i'm like okay you know everything that we're reading is saying she was in the driver's seat she's in the driver's seat like that's what the police are insisting on she's driving she doesn't have a seatbelt on all these things are very possible but the thing is, I want to point out again, is that they're saying, well, you know, she had her belongings in the passenger seat. So, you know, people do that when there's no passenger. It's like, or she was the passenger because her things are also going to be in the passenger seat if she's the passenger. Like there's not, there's no, right. there's no other reasonable solution. It's like, no, somebody else could have been driving. But Julia's phone was in the driver's side door, which makes it seem like Julia should have been driving. And it's just, there's so many questions there. And the fact that this wasn't even really looked at, um, like, how is this not being considered? Why are you not doing anything except for trying to say, no, this was obviously an accident? In what world? 
So, I do have something to say about the phone. So, the same, I feel like, okay, if we go with the um, theory of there being somebody, there being a driver and her being in the passenger side, or passenger seat, the same way her friend, or whoever it was, the same way the same people tried to take her keys and wouldn't give her her stuff back, and when she called her sister, somebody could have very easily taken her phone and put it on the driver's side um, pocket so she couldn't reach it. That's very possible, too. I don't know. I actually have lots of questions about this car ride, but we'll get into more of them very shortly here, so don't you worry. So there were samples taken from the console of the car that came back positive for Julia's DNA and from an unknown person's DNA. And the forensic analysis report said, quote, partial secondary results were identified from the above sample that could not have originated from Julia Davis. And no further testing was done. It was never compared to anybody. Why do it? Why even take it? Right. Why Why even waste anybody's time? Like, why, why do that? Like, there's... I just... Fucking A. Why? Right. This is this is infuriating. So Detective R.V. White said in his report, quote, When crash team members began their initial investigation, they found the deceased was struck by her own vehicle. And it goes on to say, It reveals that the deceased was out of her vehicle and acting as a pedestrian when she struck when she was struck by her vehicle. Okay, so hold on a second. Now you're telling me that she was hit by her own vehicle? She's not driving then. She can't be driving. Right. Like somebody else really was driving. She was the passenger and then she got struck by her own vehicle. So like maybe she got in an argument with somebody, decided to get out and then started walking and and then they hit her. That's what I'm thinking. I have no idea. I have literally no idea. But if you want to, you know, this is again, this is showing to me that, okay, well, if you are literally saying that it looks like she got hit by her own damn car. Well, how could she have done that if she was driving it? Because if you drive and you impale the guardrail and then you fly out of your passenger side window like we were originally talking about, how the fuck are you hit by your own car then? If there's nobody behind the wheel? Right. How? It's definitely sketch. And you, you can see pictures of the damage on the car. And, you know, I'm just saying too, like we're talking about her car, like definitely something broke the car window, the passenger car window. How do we know that it was somebody going through the window? Like, there's no evidence that Julia went through the window. There's no glass on her. There's glass inside and outside of the vehicle. Okay, that can literally happen for me throwing a rock through it. So there's no conclusive evidence that she went through that window. So I want to talk about the two main 911 calls for this case. The first initial call happened at 3.41 a.m. that we're going to read to you. So this is from November 19th, 2011 at 3.41 a.m. I'm going to be your 911 operator and Jasmine is going to be your caller. What's your emergency? Yeah, I'm calling about a car that's broke down on 77 North. Okay, where on I-77? On the 181 or so, the lights are on. It's up against the guardrails. Something's going on there, but I couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on over there. Can you give me a vehicle description, like red car or blue truck? Pardon me? Can you give me a vehicle description, like a red car, a blue truck? 
all I know, it's a car, uh, he had his lights on, he's right by the car, he's up against the guardrail, so there's something going on over there, but I couldn't see anybody standing around. So, you know, the car or the people, I couldn't see, but the lights on in the car, so something's going on over there. Can I have your name, sir? Can I have your name? And then the phone cuts out. So, so I just want to point something out in this, is that the guy is saying there's somebody next to the car. The car was found three-tenths of a mile away from Julia's body. So that's kind of weird. Because, like, why would the car be right next to her body? So there is a post on the Justice for Julia page from February 4th, 2020, which has the crime scene photos. And again, I say crime scene photos. It's that Kim's father took. Because, again, police did not do this. But you can see where the car is by the guardrail. But again three-tenths of a mile away from her body. So is it possible that, you know, somebody driving by thought they were close to each other? Yes. Yes, that's possible. But when you look at the all the locations of the blood on this car, which I know we already mentioned, but I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, Jasmine, you're looking at it. Explain it. So uh, the first thing that sticks out to me is, once again, the blood that is on the trunk of the car. Like, there, there's a good amount on there. And it's honestly, like, the blood is on the, the like, the back uh, right side of the trunk. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's blood there. Um, and I'm trying yeah. to... Th- That's the side closest to the guardrail, too, because of the direction that we're driving, yes. so... It is, it is. And then I also see there's blood on the roof. However, that right there is cl- is on the, like, driver's side. Mm-hmm. Like, on top of the driver's side. Um, and it's not, like, a huge amount like it was on the trunk, but still. So, it looks... So, like, for me, when I see this, I would think that it was somebody got who got hit. And therefore, they hit their head on the roof and then landed on the back on the trunk at like a really high speed. And that's where all that blood came from. That's possible, too. I mean, we're talking, there's, there's blood on the top of the car. Right. So there's, okay, so there's two, sorry, there's two, two pieces. So there's blood on the driver's side roof. And there's also blood on the back right passenger roof along with the, you know, right side of the trunk. It's like there's just blood like on all corners, like on, right, literally. And it's terrible. Yeah, everywhere. And it's just, I mean, the really the back of the car is consistent to me of somebody being hit out right. by the back of the car in blood coming from where they were physically hit and then going upward hitting the roof of the car so i just you know i this is just it, there's a lot of pictures so, so i just happened to have a thought okay i feel as though she may have gotten like she got hit by the car like she was standing outside she got hit by the car and then that would kind of like the impact of her hitting the car she would have bounced i wish there was a better way to say this she would have hit off of the back of the trunk and landed on the guardrail and such an like impact that that's what caused the decapitation that's possible yeah 
because of how close this car is to is literally on the guardrail. Right. Which, again, I want to remind you that there's no damage to the guardrail and there's no paint transference, which is weird. So I think there's a lot of sighing in this this episode, guys, because it's just whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the next 911 call. So this next 911 call came in at 3.48 a.m. And again, I'm going to be your 911 um, dispatcher and Jasmine is going to be your person on the line. Starts with, stay in the vehicle. I'm going to keep the doors locked. Just stay here. What's your emergency? Sir, I'm at the 181.6 mile marker northbound on I-77. I cannot make a confirmation of this right now. I'm walking back. I think I just seen a human being lying dead on the highway, sir. Okay, and you walked away from your vehicle? I'm getting out of my vehicle and I'm walking back where I seen the person. And you think you're at 181? 181 mile marker, sir. I haven't confirmed it yet. Okay, what's your name, sir? My name is Redacted. We drove by and you know how it's dark and you can't see, but I'm just about pretty sure... It might have been a person. Gosh, I really don't want to walk back here. You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, sir, you don't have to. Stay where you're at and I'll have someone come up there. I'm I'm getting closer to it. I'm hoping it's a deer, sir. I really am. But I'm pretty sure I saw what I saw. Oh, man. In fact, here's some other people. I don't know if you're getting more phone calls. Two other guys just stopped down here at the bottom of the hill. Oh, man. Okay, sir. Do you know your cell phone number? Is it? redacted i'm getting closer to it oh man i'm hoping it's a deer i'm hoping i can't i got my boy in any way when hit did you pull alongside the guardrail sir yes sir i'm pulled along the side uh alongside the guardrail there's a chemical tanker truck that just pulled over i'm getting closer to it there is a semi tanker truck that's coming at me right now no stay over here truck driver Stay over here. Stay over here. Oh my gosh. I can't get over here in traffic. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh my gosh. Do you want to check if this person is still alive or breathing? Sir, there's parts of him. I can't. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sir, turn around and don't look at him, okay? Turn around and don't look at him. Oh my God. Sir, sir, you need to hurry up and get people here, please. Okay, we got people on the way to you, sir. Can I start stopping traffic? This might be a crime scene, right? Do you have a flashlight? I don't want you getting hit. Yes, I do. No, no. Another person just about hit him. Oh, my God. If you can get the county sheriff department here as soon as possible, sir. Sheriff department is on the way. So is the fire department and an ambulance. Okay, there's a tanker driver who just pulled in front of me. There's a vehicle. I can't. Can anybody turn their hazard lights on? Put as much light on the situation as you can, okay? Well, most of us already passed it, sir. I'm getting kind of like, sir, this is a crime scene. I'm just about positive. I see the, this is a crime scene, sir. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is unreal. This is unreal. This is unreal. Sir, you said you had your son with you? Yes, my son is with me. Kind of like a crime scene. He's not out there walking with you. See his shirt. There's his head and skull right there. See it. Oh, oh. Oh. Is the head not attached to the body? No, sir. Part of the head is right over the uh, right over here. I need you to get over to the right, over to the right. Make sure that you tell him. 
The sheriff department is here. He's getting ready to block both lanes, sir. Okay, sir, you go ahead and talk to the deputy. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. And then there's a last call that comes in at 3.52 a.m. 911, what's your emergency? Has anybody called in on a, it's in Wood County on the Interstate 182 right before 182. Looks like somebody busted a deer. They got I'm sorry, a, what? It's 182 northbound, Interstate 77. Looks like somebody hit a deer. There's a couple of trucks on the side keeping people away from the deer. There's a car by the guardrail. I don't know if anybody... Okay, it's around the 182? Yes, just right before the 182 northbound. Okay, we've got deputies on the scene out, out there, sir. Okay, I just went by and there wasn't anyone there, so I just thought I'd call. Okay, thank you. So I also want to have Jasmine read to you an anonymous account of somebody who was actually at the scene. And this statement is from November 23rd, 2011. So just a couple days after the accident. So Jasmine, you can go ahead and read that. This is not going to be the entire thing, but this is going to be a good chunk of it. And um, it's all a direct quote. And when I walked back over to the other side, it's when I started to look around and when I started to look around, I was like, look, I seen the white coat on the guardrail and then it and it didn't look right to me. I don't know anything about accidents or stuff, but as I looked at the white coat, it was like a big blotter of blood on the right side of the coat. It just didn't seem right to me at the time. I am no investigator or anything, but I have watched too much TV, I guess. I know it just seemed like to me that wasn't consistent with what I was seeing. I could see the mark on the pavement where I thought where the rumble stripes strips were, where it looked like that was where the head or something had hit. And then there was a blood trail that looked like it slid over the interstate over to where the yellow line is on the passing zone. And as I started to look more, I kind of noticed that she didn't have any top on. It looked like she was missing a left breast. She, there was no head to identify that I can remember. It was such a gruesome scene to see. I don't recall the shoes on her feet. As I started to look more, I remember her pants were pulled halfway down and I can remember she had like a G-string on. I was trying not, I didn't touch anything. I was trying not to anything. I know it was a crime scene. I knew it was a crime scene. And as I kind of looked around, I remember seeing her tooth on the ground. I remember seeing her wristband on the ground. I I looked around like in the median and stuff because I was kind of like, well, maybe there is a purse that would help identify who she was because her sister is here. Maybe there's a cell phone here. I didn't see none of that. Um, I kept looking around and by the by now the fire people have gotten there and we have got interstate backed up. The paramedics was, were there. She was with me over by the guardrail, and I said to her, that is weird how that coat is sitting there, you know? How did it get there? I mean, she couldn't have been knocked out of it. I remember the paramedic had said that she had seen people knocked out of their clothes, and it just, it was weird. It was like sitting there. I just, I just kept looking at it and couldn't believe it. We both had our flashlights, and we would like looked down on the other side of the guardrail um a few minutes had passed and I probably had walked back down to the truck and I had asked my son what he had seen and he had seen a head and a coat on the guardrail I said all right and I tried to briefly explain to him what was going on and I really didn't want to traumatize 
uh, traumatized him and everything. I went back and uh, I went back up to the hill. I stood around and I talked to a gentleman in a white pickup truck who was in the slow lane, the right lane. He was from North Carolina and I believe his wife was with him and he was going to Ohio to go hunting hunting and we spoke i was there two and a half hours through the whole thing so a lot of time went by and uh, i walked back over to where the car was where the sister was and the grandmother was there people were there i guess the mother was at that time over by the police cars and she was wanting to see the body that's a lot what's the most significant thing that you got out of that the most significant thing was i think the the biggest thing for me is when he went to go ask his son what he saw and his son said he saw the head and the jacket on the guardrail mm-hmm. that stood out to me and his insistence that it was a crime scene too that is true that is true because in the nine this is that same one the for uh the nine one one, the first one right i would assume so but i guess i don't know i i feel the only <sighs> Yeah, that's true. You wouldn't know. It aligns with his account of the 911 call. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, the insistence, like you said. And then, like I said, with the son seeing that, um, I feel like uh, that was something like kind of like what I told you about, like, hearing about people, like, when they get hit at, a, like, a rapid force by a vehicle where they can come out of their clothes. I thought it was just their shoes, but apparently like the paramedics said like they can come out of their clothes. Okay. But how are they hanging? Exactly. The, the wind isn't just going to sit there and fold your clothes for you like that. No, right. that doesn't make any sense. Right. I do want to make a point to also say, because it didn't directly come up in any of these, any of these statements, but you might have noticed during one of the 911 calls that they were talking about a tractor trailer mm-hmm. getting real close. Well, there actually was a tractor trailer that hit Julia's body when it was on the ground. And being hit by that tractor trailer actually broke her leg. Oh. So on top, uh, well, I mean, is what, you know, they're saying that's what broke her leg, which makes sense if you yeah. get run over by a tractor trailer that you're going to get hit, but because of the way that she was in the road. I mean, that makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. So, okay. So now she was out there and she got hit by the tractor trailer. Do they think maybe the tractor trailer was what decapitated her? No, because she had already been seen by people before the tractor trailer hit her. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But also, the tractor trailer hitting her, again, doesn't explain her being hit by a car. Right. Her looking like she got hit by her car. Her clothes coming off. Because you're talking about her flying at such an impact that her clothes could possibly come off, right? Right, yeah. If you get hit by something, but you're already on the ground, how is that going to remove your clothes? It's not possible. Right. But also, it didn't run over where her head was, no. But also, like, and then that also, like, for me, it's also, like, why were her clothes removed? What is the significance in that? To, like... You mean, like, why would somebody have done it? Yeah. So, my thought is that her jacket, maybe her jacket came off. Mm-hmm. 
and it got covered in blood and the initial plan was to move it or maybe they thought it would look better. I think it was meant to be staged in such a way that it seemed accidental, but it actually looked more suspicious than it was made out to be. That's a good point. I just... I don't have an actual answer for that. That's one of the very curious things about this case is that why would that have happened to begin with? And it's like, was somebody trying to set something up and they wasted too much time and now people are coming? So, like, my thought after you answered was, like, maybe, let's just say it was, like, people who truly didn't like her, like, that were involved. And maybe this was just an extra way to humiliate her even more by basically taking her clothes off and leaving her like that for anybody to find her. That's very possible, too. There's a lot of different reasons that that could have been done, but it just doesn't seem natural to me that her clothes are hanging and folded. No. And her bra is on top of her shirt. Like, if they came off. If they came off naturally, they would be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to be on top of the guardrail. And her jacket's not going to be hanging up there with the blood Right, and they'd probably be in, like, shreds or something. I have no idea. I have no idea what the condition of clothes would be if they flew off your body. I just know that they don't end up folded. So that's all I can tell you. So I want to move into statements that are from people who were involved in her life in the hours surrounding her death. I'm going through these because I think it's important to hear everybody's version of the story because you're going to hear a lot of contradictory things and they're so long. Initially, Jasmine and I were going to read through each and every one of them. This would end up being like a seven hour episode. I decided to condense them for clarity. So this is taking out the major points, in my opinion, that are needed to know about what each of these people said. Because there's a lot of questions that are asked too that I kind of feel were irrelevant to the actual story here. So not bringing any of those in here. I also want to just, you know, say as a disclaimer, we are not making any accusations at any point in time. We're merely having a discussion based on what was, you know, what was told to police. And I'm going to tell you these in the order in which they occurred to the police. So you're going to be hearing it in the same order that they did. And I also want to mention that prior to this night that they had gone out, November the 19th or November the 18th, there had been a physical fight between some of the girls, Kristen, Katie, and Julia, and another group of girls not long before this incident. Hmm. So like their group versus their group. So this is going to play a small role in this. So it's important just to know that that's, you know, that was a situation that happened. There's not really that much detail about it other than they got into a fight. The interviewer for all of these is Detective C.S. Waldron and... I'm going to be starting with Tabby's statement, which again, Tabiana is her sister. So she goes by Tabby. This was on November 19th, 2011. Now, Tabby had texted with Julia a few times throughout the night. At 3.28 a.m., she was called to pick Julia up and she was asking Kristen for her keys in the background that you remember. And she sounded mad and she said she would tell her about it when they got there. And she said she's going to meet her at the BP As you remember, at 3.33 a.m., she called to make sure that they were on their way and told her to meet them at the rest stop on the interstate. And she said she was currently on the interstate. At 3.36 a.m., 
Julia tried to call Toby, but it didn't go through. At 3.44 a.m., Toby called Julia, but she didn't answer. Now, as you remember, her time of death was decided to be 3.40 a.m. First 911 call came in at 3.41 a.m., so that's obviously why she didn't answer. So, you know, we've talked about the scenario where, okay, Julia could have been a driver, she could have been a passenger, but I have a very serious question that I want to ask you about this because, in my opinion, if Julia was in control of the vehicle, if she was the one driving, why is she switching the place to meet her sister? Right. Like, she, she, like you said, she has control of her vehicle, so what sense does that make? It doesn't. Now, unless... I was, well, I was going to say, unless she felt like she was being followed, but like at the same time, like if they could follow her from the BP or from that gas station to a, they could follow her to a truck stop. So. Right. So like what's going on that she feels like she needs to do that. And so to me, it kind of like, I'm just trying to put myself in that situation. And I'm like, if I call you and I'm telling you, okay, Hey, can you pick me up here? And then I'm calling you back five minutes later. And I'm like, Hey, actually I'm on the interstate now. Can you meet me here? To me, that sounds like somebody else is driving. And she's like, okay, well, where the fuck am I telling my sister to pick me up at? Right. And that could be just like me getting into my own head about that because that's just kind of what makes sense to me. But you're right. She might have been uncomfortable at the BP for whatever reason because maybe, you know, she wasn't getting along with somebody and they were there. Who knows? But that's just a very curious question I had about that. So Toby called Kristen at 3.50 a.m. And she didn't answer. So she called again at 3.53 When Kristen answered, she tried to tell her about why Julia was mad at her, and Toby ended up hanging up the phone. She called Kristen again in a panic about the wreck at 4.07 a.m. and 4.09 a.m. Our next statement is from Katie, and this is also from November 19th, 2011. So this is her written statement, because there are more than one statement by Katie. So her written statement says that she was picked up from Hardy's, where she worked, by Kristen, Freddie, Julia, and Jordan, and she was brought to Brian's house around 10.30 p.m. They left Brian's house around 1 a.m. and went to the Nip and Q, which is the bar that they go to. When they left around 3 a.m., they went first to Freddie's to unlock the door for Jordan, then went back to Brian's to get Julia's car. Jordan is Freddie's roommate. That's why they're unlocking the door there. And then they're saying that the car, Julia's car was parked at Brian's because that's where they started. Mm-hmm. Katie went to Julia's car and was waiting for Julia and Kristen because they were all supposed to be getting into her car and they weren't coming over. So she went back to Freddie's car and she's like, okay, what's going on? Like, are we getting into the car? Kristen and Julia were talking about a key because apparently Kristen misplaced Julia's house key. Katie got back into Freddie's car. They drove to McDonald's, leaving Julia there at her car. Once at Kristen's, Toby called Kristen about Julia being in an accident. Around 4.15 a.m., Katie was picked up from Kristen's house. I just want to mention real quick that even though she knows about this, Katie didn't reach out to Tabiana or to Julia. Hmm. You know, so she knew that, okay, well... Toby called Kristen and was saying that she was in an accident. And then Katie didn't think to check up on her. I thought that was kind of weird. It is kind of weird. Like if somebody I was just hanging out with who I knew was drinking and I dropped her off at her car was in an accident and her sister called me, why would I not contact one of them? Right. That's supposed to be my friend. 
Right. Hmm. Right. I just thought that was a little odd. But, you know, maybe she's just a shitty friend. I don't know. <laughs> so Katie's verbal statement goes that she got a call from Kristen around 1030 p.m. asking if she wanted to go out. Her sister dropped her off at someone's house to meet up with Julia, Kristen, Freddie, and Jordan. Freddie drove them to the Nip and Q, and they arrived there around 1 a.m. They left around 3 a.m. They left and drove to Freddie's apartment to unlock the door for Jordan. They then drove to Brian Sapp's house, where Julia's car was parked. Katie went to Julia's car and was waiting for Julia and Kristen. They were all supposed to be getting into Julia's car. They weren't coming over, so she went back to Freddie's car to see what was going on. Kristen and Julia were talking about a key because Kristen misplaced her house key. She says they didn't appear to be mad at each other, and Kristen told Katie to get back into Freddie's car and that he was taking them to Kristen's house and Julia was going to drive herself home. She didn't actually see Julia get into her car, but instead last saw her standing next to her car. They went to McDonald's and then they were dropped off at Kristen's at 4.20 a.m. Around 4 a.m., Toby had called Kristen and when she said something about a wreck, screamed and hung up. So that's her second account. Not significantly different, but slightly different. Because now in this, I just want to point out that she does say in this um, statement that her sister dropped her off at someone's house to meet up with them. When in the first statement, she's saying they picked her up from Hardy's. Right. So that's a little weird. For me, the other part that's weird. So like in this one, she's saying that Toby called, screamed and like hung up about the wreck. Right. But she still didn't make an effort to call and figure out what the hell was going on. That is 100% correct. Hmm. Okay. So then we have Christopher Latimer. Now, he had heard numerous rumors, including that four people were chasing Julia, but he doesn't know what happened. Now, that actually is kind of consistent with your theory about maybe that's why she was leaving the BP. Could be. Yeah. Now, he was at the nipping queue with Julia, Katie, and Kristen. He said Julia was plastered. Again, somebody's opinion, not saying that's pointy fingers, say anything about that. Just what he said. Shortly after 1230 a.m., Chris and Julia spoke on the phone. Julia told Chris she didn't want to go into the bar and that she wanted them to leave together and go hang out alone. He said they probably could, but his friends talked him into staying. A short while later, Julia, Kristen, and Katie arrived. He spent a lot of time with Julia and they had been friends for a while. He thinks it was after 3 a.m. that they left and thinks they left with Freddie Scott. He got a text from Julia at 3.05 that read, quote, Don't try and chill with me and Katie at the same time. That's lame. At 3.19 a.m., Chris sent Julia a text back that read, quote, I have been wanting to chill with you, kid. A while later, around 3.30 to 4 a.m., he ended up picking up Katie, who is uh, his ex-girlfriend, by the way, from Kristen's house, and they stayed together for the remainder of the night. So that's who she just texted him about trying to hang out with her and the other one that's correct and he still went and called her up and hung out and stayed the night with her okay we, we i mean we ain't trying to point fingers at chris christopher latimer for hanging out with his ex-girlfriend he <laughs> no. can do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> but you but you're correct that's exactly what was happening there um what's significant that he's and i'm not done with him either but what's significant about what i've said so far is that you know he he doesn't know the exact details of the first part of the night but he says that between 3.30 and 4, he picked up Katie. Now, it could just be that his time frame is incorrect in his head. But Katie is saying that she was there when Kristen received that phone call from Toby 
we know that that phone call happened a little after four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Because we have phone records for that. Right. So, and it, again, it could just be that, you know, Chris, you know, is misremembering the time. That's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting because his time frame for that is 3.30 to 4. And when he's telling his time frames for other situations here, he's like, oh, it was like 12.30 when I talked to Julia on the phone. You know, he has his phone record, too, that he can look at for that. But, you know, he's also saying they probably left a little after 3. Well, they left after 3. They left at three o'clock, you know what I mean? So like, right. he's pretty on par with that. So for him to be like, well, it was between 3.30 and 4, he's like, it wasn't that long after they left, you know what I mean? Again, right. he could be 10 minutes off. It's just weird. So then after waking up the next day, he asked Katie why Julia wasn't with her and Kristen. And she said something about Julia and Kristen arguing. Well, Chris also woke up to a ton of missed calls and text messages saying that Julia had died. And he mentions the following, quote, I think maybe Kristen was like mad at Julia for trying to talk to me. I haven't talked to Julia a long time before, like up until now, that Kristen was like, why are you talking to him? Like Katie's right there. And Chris says that Kristen and Julia were talking about this before even going to the bar. Hmm. So Chris knew that something was wrong. And... Also, Katie did not mention to Chris that Julia was in an accident, even though she's claiming she knew about it. That's real shady. It's a little weird for me. Why are you being shady? Yeah. Like, how are you going to be hanging out with somebody who's important to you? Clearly, your ex-boyfriend is clearly important to you. And you're not even going to mention that your mutual friend just got into a car wreck, even though you're aware of it and you're not going to check on her. Right, That's exactly. Shitty. You're not gonna call her sister. I don't care, like how close, like we're not. Like I'm gonna still, like if something happened to you, like I would like try to reach out to your mom or your brother or anybody. Like I would try to reach out to somebody because you're right. my friend, and you know that's just common courtesy. Like I'm not gonna be shady and weird about it. Even if we got into a fight, I would stood. I heard you got in a wreck on your way home. I'd be like, oh, my God, the last thing I said to her was something really shitty. Right. Like, that exactly. would be my, tra- my like, thought process. And she doesn't even tell him about it, even though she goes and she hangs out with him for the rest of the night. She doesn't even mention it to him. Huh. That's real shitty. And he's the next day, he's like, what happened with Jalea? Like, why are you guys not with Jalea, by the way? Right. Like, oh, he had to bring it up to you? Oh, convenient. Then there's an anonymous statement from a male friend of Jalea's on November 20th, 2011. Now, he knows Julia was there and left the bar with Nicole Diaz, Kristen, Freddie, and an unidentified male. Katie's not in this situation. Doesn't mean she's not there. From there, the car they were in, which was Julia's car, was pulled over by the driver on the interstate and a fight broke out. He mentions an argument between Julia and Kristen over a key. And he said that Freddie told someone the following, which is how he pieced together the story. Quote, Freddie pulled Julia out of the vehicle and I don't know that he hit her, but I do know that Kristen was beating up Julia, hitting her head on the guardrail. And then I heard that, I mean, somehow she ran over Julia. I don't know that Kristen did it, but one of the people in the vehicle did. From there, they leave the car and drive and let it go down the interstate and doesn't know how they got out of there or if someone came and picked them up. That's kind of an interesting rumor. Shut the fuck up. Can't make it up. That's it's in like writing. super fucking detailed. It's very specific. 
Shut the fuck up. It's very fucking specific. And, you know, what's crazy about it, too, is that, like, I don't know what you're saying about who did what, but at this point in time, I want you to keep in mind, this is the day after this happened. So, like, it's not like he heard on the news that, or there was, like, a police report out that that was public that he could be like, oh, yeah, I heard that she potentially got hit by her own car. Right. Like, no, exactly. no, no. That is so significant. That is wild. So that's a really, really interesting account on things. And now also I want to point out in this scenario, they're also in Julia's car. Which makes sense. Like from like, our, so they, did they drive her car right. to the bar? Maybe. Because that goes with the narrative that there was another driver beside and she was in the vehicle and not driving. Right. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And also there's, a, there's another person being placed with her at this point in time. Nicole. Right. And we know that this is three different accounts where Kristen has been one of the same factors and this missing house key has been the same factor in these stories right right so we all know that something happened with that could it have ended at that very possibly mm-hmm. it's just kind of weird that people keep bringing it up but okay because obviously people remembered it as something significant that happened in the night right so the next statement is from freddie scott it was november the 21st at 2011 he said that he met julia for the first time that night at brian's house he said Kristen and Julia drove Julia's car to Brian's house and they left and picked up Katie from Hardy's at 11.30 p.m. They went back to Brian's for Katie to get ready to go out. He says he drove them all to the nip and queue and Julia left her car at Brian's. He thinks they got to the bar around midnight, but he's not positive. He says at some point during the night, Julia was arguing with someone who he presumed to be her boyfriend, but he doesn't know who the guy is. He says Julia was talking and dancing to the guy throughout the night as far as he knows. He says when they left, quote, I took Julia to her car and then I went back to my apartment so Jordan could get in. And then I took Kristen and Katie to her house. Now, before I continue, I just want to remind you that Katie's statement very clearly says that they stopped at Freddie's house, unlocked the door for Jordan, and then went to Brian's house. And they were all supposed to be getting out of the car there. Right. Not consistent with the story, but okay. He says they spent a while looking for Julia's wristlet and key that he doesn't know if anyone got into an argument. He was just annoyed and wanted to go home. He didn't know that he was going to be driving Kristen and Katie home until they were at Julia's car at Brian's house. He said that Julia got into the driver's seat of her car and from there they stopped at his apartment, stopped at McDonald's, then went to Kristen's house. He says only him and Kristen got food and tells what they ordered which is not when Kristen says that they ordered. I don't know if that's significant or not, but whatever. And he said that nobody was on the phone in the car talking with anybody. So when did Julia make these phone calls to Toby then? Right. Not like this is just, did she do it outside of the car? Like, I don't know. He seems like he really doesn't even know what was going on or he's just playing stupid. Also, my other thing too is I feel like if Julia was really as inebriated as everybody was saying that she was, she wouldn't have, dro- they would have like had an issue with her driving at that moment as well. You would hope. Right. But because like the fact that they're, so like what we said in the beginning, like how they did, they wouldn't give her her keys. 
like maybe she got really drunk and x y and z that's why they were taking the keys so like i feel like if that was the case they would have reacted the same way this time as well right and try to take her keys from her right and he's also saying too that julia got into the driver's seat of her car where if you remember Mm -hmm. katie said in her statement like she when they drove off like julia was just standing next to her car like she couldn't even place julia inside her car Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, again, that might have just been that she wasn't paying as much attention. Who knows? Right? Right. So, Kristen's statement is from November 22nd, 2011. She had the interview with her lawyer and her father present. At 7 p.m., Julia came over to her house. They made cookies and they were getting ready, which is weird because later on they're also getting ready at Brian's, but whatever. And then they went to Brian's. When they went to Brian's in Julia's car, it was between 9.30 and 10 p.m. Her, Julia, Jordan, and Freddie went and picked up Katie from Hardy's, and Freddie was driving. And they picked up more liquor before going back to Brian's between 10 and 11 p.m. Now, Kristen says that she took about 14 shots of vodka and that Julia had at least 16 shots, but she didn't feel drunk and that Julia didn't seem drunk. Huh. 14 shots of vodka. And 16 shots. Like, what? (laughs) You would be on the floor. Well, you could be a seasoned drinker. 16 shots? What a weird specific number. Like, I'm sorry. You're trying to tell me you took 14 shots of vodka and you were okay? Girl, you crazy. That did not happen. But okay. And she also said that Julia didn't seem that drunk. How? What? Why are you? What is this made up story? What is that for? In what world? Right. So, but again, she also says that they picked up Katie from Hardy's. So again, Katie, where did you come from? So she says they went to Nip and Q around 12, 1230 a.m. At the Nip and Q, Kristen says, quote, Katie's ex-boyfriend was there and Katie still talks to him. And I was realizing that Julia was pretty drunk because she was like dancing upon Katie's ex-boyfriend. And they were, like, talking really close. And Katie was getting, like, aggravated with the whole thing. Now, this ex-boyfriend is, of course, Chris Latimer. She says they left the bar at 3.10 a.m. and that Freddie was driving, that she was in the passenger seat, and that Julia and Katie were in the back seat. From there, they went back to Brian's. When asked about what happened at Brian's, Kristen said, quote, Julia was talking to, redacted, on the phone, and I think she was trying to go hang out with him or whoever he was, and she couldn't find her wristlet. Her wristlet was somewhere in the car, and she was like, she was fussing at me about it because she thought I did something with it, and I told her I had tried to take it away from you, like, a few times tonight so that you didn't lose it, and she basically was like, well, I don't know where it is, and she was kind of blaming me for it, and I was like, I don't have it. So I found it for her, and we found her keys because she needed to get something out of her car and we decided that we were going to go home and we thought that Julia was going to come with us but she ended up calling her sister and asked her to come pick her up and she said she needed a ride so I don't know if she was trying to go hang out with that guy or if she's trying to go back home and then she says quote she went to get out of the car and she said Toby I need you to come pick me up and I'll explain what's going on when you get here and Kristen says they got to Brian at Brian's house around 3.30. She says when they left, Julia was sitting in her car at about 3.40 a.m. Then she says that Toby called her at 3.50 a.m. asking where Julia was. She told her that Julia was at Brian's house and how to get there. She then tried to call Julia, but she didn't answer. 
They then went through the McDonald's drive-thru, and then at 3.53 a.m., Toby called her again about Julia. Toby called her again at 4.16 a.m. and was hysterical talking about a car wreck. And then Waldron, who's the detective, says something she quite frankly shouldn't have. And she says to Kristen, quote, they are saying that you beat her up, that you pushed her out of the car and hit her. And I have heard all kinds of things. What? So George Casenza, who's Kristen's lawyer, asks Waldron the following question. Have you interviewed anyone that said that and that they saw that? Now, I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to. Police shouldn't show someone who could be a suspect or person of interest their cards or tell them any details of an active investigation. Period. Like, that's common sense. Right. And here's what Waldron actually says. Quote, I mean, I have gotten calls on rumors. I mean, they called and said we heard this. Or I mean, we have got one boy that he is avid that Freddie Scott took her out of the car and held her. And Katie beat her and thumped her off the guardrails. And then one of them between Katie and Nicole Diaz and Freddie hit her with a car. And they all let her car run down the interstate and they left it. It's all kinds of crazy things. But it's just interesting to me that they picked you and Freddie out to pick on. And you have all these girls that are enemies and have fought her. So Casenza goes on to ask Waldron about more details and Waldron tells them that Julia was hit by her own car and that it wasn't shut off, but was still running a good distance from her body and that they initially thought someone was in the car with her, but that opinion has since changed and that she thinks it's a freak accident. And she tells him that she thinks she was pretty plastered from what she understood and was incapacitated. And she told him that they have worked it down to a seven minute time frame of events. And they both tell Kristen to lay low. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Is that not the most disgusting thing you've ever in your life heard? It's fucking pathetic and stupid. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That can't be legal. No. I just, I mean, I don't care what happened. That is not okay. I don't care what the situation is. That literally... Why the fuck would you tell somebody that? Yeah, you should, uh, you're, like, going to be one of our main suspects and, you know, just don't be around. Go hide somewhere. Right. And also, let me tell you all the details and what people are saying so that you know how to defend those theories. Also, yeah, that way you can use that against them and potentially, like, if you're capable of doing this, who knows what you're going to be capable of of the quote-unquote snitches so yeah good good luck do what you want with that information mm-hmm. so that's just fucking awesome and also um just a reminder that you know Kristen did say here that julia was sitting in her car when they left it was like 3 40 a.m well 3 40 a.m is julia's pronounced time of death so that time frame ain't right but okay There's an anonymous statement on November 28th, 2011, from somebody who has known Julia for most of their life. Julia called this person at 12, 10 a.m. and was at a friend's house and and this person was at a friend's house and they didn't answer. Someone else at the friend's house spoke with her, though, and Julia said her and Kristen wanted to come over, but people that didn't get along with them were at the house already, so they didn't go. Julia called again at 3.20 a.m. And he said around 3 a.m. And according to her phone record, it was actually 3.20 a.m. And so that they were leaving the nip and queue and wanted to come over. He heard that Julia and Kristen got into an argument. And he said, according to Chris Latimer, he saw Julia that night. Brian Sapp is on November 30th of 2011. 
He met Julia for the first time that night when she showed up at his house. Freddie invited Kristen and her over. The people who were at his house were Freddie, Jordan, and a few other people whose names aren't relevant, so I'm not going to confuse you by adding them. He thinks that they got there around 10 p.m. A little while later, Katie came over. He was told Julia's car was at his house after the fact, but he doesn't know for sure that it was actually there. He didn't see it. And mind you, he doesn't have a driveway. He didn't know what kind of car she had. So they kept talking about how they weren't driving. So no difference to him. Mm -hmm. He had no idea. The girls were upstairs getting ready, so he wasn't sure if they were drinking already. And also remember, Kristen said that they got ready at her house. So like, what are you you doing? Um, Anyways, around 11 p.m., the girls left with Freddie and Jordan. Brian and the others left shortly after them to go to the bar. He thought they were going to Marietta because they didn't want to go to the nip and queue because there were going to be fights and drama there. But they were there anyway. He said he didn't hear them say that there were going to be fights and drama, but he thinks they were, quote, just dealing with other girls. He said Julia was smiling and dancing and having a good time there. And he thinks he left before them around 2.30 a.m., but he didn't actually hang out with them there, so he's not entirely sure. In regards to Julia's death, Brian heard, quote, she was pushed out in front of a car or something, and I hear that somehow her own car ran over her. He says he saw it on Facebook and had heard rumors. He also said that Freddie mentioned to him an argument between Julia and Kristen about keys. But again, everybody's mentioning this. So clearly this argument was a big deal. Then there was an anonymous statement on December 2nd, 2011. And this statement says, I mean, it's, it's a longer statement, but I condensed it just for, you know, this brief period here. It says, I heard she got hit by a car and died. Everyone is bringing up a girl's name, Kristen, that she might have had something to do with it. So this person says that they know who Kristen is, but they don't actually know Kristen personally. And they have never met Julia. They don't know her at all. And this person was brought in because their name was brought up by somebody else. And this is what they had heard. Somebody who doesn't even know Julia. And then there's Nicole D.S. Wooten. On December 14th, 2011, she gave her statement. Now, she knew of her, but she had just met Julia about a month ago. And she met her through Kristen, who she also just recently started hanging out with. And she actually works with Taviana. So Nicole had met up with them all at the Nip and Q that night. She said she already was with a separate group of friends and she's good friends with Katie. So she got excited when Katie got there and then behind Katie coming out to the dance floor were Kristen, Julia and Freddie. She got to the bar between 12 and 1230 and they got there by her estimate about an hour after her and her friends. She says that Julia and Katie were both pretty drunk and Julia was stumbling all night. Kristen invited Nicole and friends to meet at Freddie's house before the bar. So Nicole assumes that they were at Freddie's house before coming to the bar. But she remembers Julia being in good spirits, and she danced with Chris Latimer a lot. She points out that Kristen didn't drink there, and that Kristen appeared sober when they arrived, so she isn't really sure. She doesn't know what time they left, but it was before her and her friends, so she thinks it was between 2.30 and 3.30. She says Chris left earlier than everyone, and the next day, Katie's sister called Nicole looking for Katie. When Nicole finally Mm. got a hold of Katie, she was with Chris. So Katie told Nicole that Julia or Kristen lost her house key, so she called Toby for a ride. They left Julia at Freddie's house, where she was going to wait for Toby, who she had called, and Freddie drove Kristen and Katie to Kristen's. Once again, Katie said that Julia's car was at Brian's house, and that Julia was driving herself home. 
What is it? Where was her car? Chris picked Katie up from Kristen's house. She said everyone was in good spirits. But Nicole also says this, quote, I don't honestly know why everyone made it such a big deal about Kristen and Julia arguing the whole time. And she pushed her out of the car or whatever, because I've never seen Julia fight. Kristen had told me before, you know, Julia's like, Kristen is mad at me, just overgirl stuff. But when I could tell, they had a really good deep bond friendship. And she goes on to say that she thinks because Julia was completely wasted, that whatever happened is a result of that. But then she says that Julia was probably more sober when she left the nip and cue than when she arrived and she wasn't stumbling as much. Okay, Nicole, so what is it? What is it? How was she? Why don't you tell me like a clear answer of how she was acting? Because you're calling her, quote, completely wasted and then saying, well, she wasn't really that drunk when she left. What is it? That's a huge difference. Right. Either she was or she wasn't. Right. Exactly. On January the 1st, 2012, there's an anonymous statement given, which Jasmine's going to read to you. Anonymous phone call on January 1st, 2012. Call received at 11.44 p.m. Sunday, January 1st. Hello. I had spoke with one of the officers that answered the phone and was giving him some information into the Jalea Davis, or however you pronounce her name, case. And I kind of explained what I had heard or whatever, and he said that I should leave a message on her voicemail, but I wanted to remain anonymous, but a family member of mine named Redacted is friends with Redacted, and Redacted knows Jalea Davis, and this Redacted, her, she has a baby by this boy JD, and JD and his sister was the last people that was with Jalea Davis, and they, his sister was in the car with Jalea, and they were all at that bar that night together, so I don't know if anybody has questioned this Redacted, uh, you know, on what she may or may not know, and Redacted has a friend named Redacted. Anyway, those two may have information because Redacted made statement in front of a family member that this JD done it and because his family has money that he will get away with it. So, I mean, I don't know if that was a true statement, but she knows this JD fairly well and I just thought I would leave this information and I don't have anything personally to add. Have a good evening. Bye. And then there's another anonymous statement on December 16th, 2011 from somebody who was working that night at the Nip and Q. And he says that there were a group of people that Julia was with that had an altercation, but he doesn't think that Julia was actually involved in it. He said some girls from two different friend groups were fighting and something someone said on Twitter and it ended up being a fight. So one of the groups got kicked out, but he was unsure if it was the group that Julia was in. And that's all that he remembers. Hmm. Now, here's a few curious things that I want to mention. The police waited over three weeks to try to obtain surveillance from the Nip and Q. So there was a witness statement that I didn't mention of somebody named Stafford, who she claimed that another car forced Julia's car off the road, causing an accident. But they actually were able to find her lying about that. And so in 2013, what she served fuck? six months of jail in it. Why do people do that? Why? Like, that's just dumb and hurtful. Right. Right. And not a single one of the friends or parents contacted Kim Davis to ask anything about what happened to see how she's doing or that they're sorry for their, her loss. Nothing. Julia died on the 19th of November in 2011. At nearly 7 a.m. that day, police went to Kristen's house and her father answered the door and he said he would get a lawyer before speaking to them. Now, I just want to point out that I don't think that it's 
not smart to get a lawyer. People always say that that's incriminating. I think that I, I don't know my legal rights. I would probably want a lawyer. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you're going to be questioned to get a lawyer, I'm not putting, I'm not saying that's incriminating at all here. What I'm saying is that what's odd is that Kristen and her family decided to go to the restaurant that Kim works at that very same day. Of course. That's fucking weird. But weirdest of all, Kristen, Katie, and Freddie all have family members who are in law enforcement. Oh, ding, 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 ding. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. That's a little, that's a little weird. I wonder why the police didn't really take any pictures or investigate anything. I don't right. know. It's kind of weird to me that, you know, somebody who is able to get insider information happens to have a family member who is in law enforcement. That seems really, really corrupt in my opinion. But I'm just a podcaster. I don't know anything, right? So. Right. Exactly. Now, I, wanna, I mentioned McDonald's earlier that there, you know, Freddie was seen on McDonald's surveillance. So I just want to, I want to talk about this alibi real quick. Mm-hmm. Before I get into her cell phone pings, I just... The McDonald's video surveillance, you can see that there is a African-American male driver and you can see that there's someone in the backseat, but there's no distinguishing characteristics in that video that will allow for identification of even the gender of the passenger and the person in the backseat. But the video hmm. shows that from 327 to 328, they are in the drive-thru. You can, you know that it's Freddie. You can identify Freddie, but you can't the other people in the car. So in Nicole's statement... She knows that Julia was ta- was waiting on Toby. Kristen says in her statement that Julia called her sister for a ride. Not even just that. Kristen knows exactly what Julia said to Toby, and Toby heard her in the background. That call was at 328. Right. So you're trying to tell me that Kristen was in that car with Freddie. Like, she's claiming. Everybody's claiming that she was in that car with Freddie when they went to McDonald's. Well, was Julia in the car? Hmm. because they know of that phone call. Well, the phone call happened at 328. That's when Freddie's in the drive-thru. And according to Freddie, right. he was with them the entire time until he dropped Julia off of her car and the rest of them drove off. So Julia could have been in the back seat during that drive-thru encounter. Or this timestamp could be wrong, but let's pretend like it's not, because I don't have any way of proving that. Or Kristen and Katie weren't in the car with Freddie. He says that nobody was on the phone talking to anybody. And according to Katie and Kristen, Toby called Kristen while they were in the car with Freddie. So Kristen put herself with Julia at 328. It is possible that Julia is in the car at the McDonald's at 328. And with the help of somebody on the Julia, uh, Justice for Julia page on Facebook and the maps that Kim made on there, I was able to make a map on my phone the where Julia's phone pinged. So I'm going to post this picture on the Instagram so that you can take a look at it. I'm going to give you kind of a brief description of what you're looking at. So there's going to be four marked, five marked locations, the BP, the McDonald's, the Nip and Q, Freddy's house, and Brian's house. You also see that there's a green X at the bottom. It's because Brian's house is located between that red dot and the X. I had the help of somebody and it, I couldn't pinpoint the literal location of that, but it's in that little range right there. There's also going to be four different lines, which you can see going up the road. And there's a long purple line and that has a time frame from three, it starts at 328. There's a small yellow line after that, which phone pings at 333. And then there's a red line that she's in from 336 to 341. 
And that's also when that 911 call came in was at 341, but her car was pinged in the 340, in that red line. And then I have a white dash, which is where her car was actually located and where her phone pinged at 344. So, you know, without looking at this, it might not make as much sense, but try to, you know, follow through with it, even if you can't look at it. It is very helpful to look at, though. So I'm going to tell you first what Kim Davis put on the Facebook page, her interpretation of she made a different map, but just just with her, um, her lines regarding the the road where her cell phone's pinging. And she said, you know, that each color represents a span of which the phone calls took place, and it could be anywhere in that span. So at 328, and that first call went out to Toby. The purple line is where her car was traveling. So that purple line is really close to where part of Brian's house could be. And going up I-77, it is not near the McDonald's or BP. Mm-hmm. It's, on, it's like the other direction going towards 77. So at 333 is, when, is a small yellow line on there. And that's where she was calling Toby back and telling her to you know, um, actually, I need you to meet me, you know, here instead. At 3.36, that's where she tried to call Toby, but the call didn't go through. And that's in that red line there. Now, this is important because how, you see how short that red line is compared to the purple line? Mm -hmm. It's a five minute span that they're driving on that purple line. So that's kind of a long time. And this red line is where Kim thinks that something took place there. She said not necessarily her death, Mm -hmm. but something. And then again, I have that dash at the top at 344 where her phone pings is where her car was found. Right. So. So she was supposed to meet, Tavi was supposed to meet her at the BP. Right. So that BP is like kind of out of the way. Like for her to be traveling up 77 and then have to turn and go kind of back. So, I wonder, so do you think that that truck stop is just, like, right off of 77? Like, further up? Yes, it is. But what I'm thinking is because where that, where she initially called, Toby mm-hmm. is really close to Brian's house. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the area actually does encompass Brian's house. I wonder if they were physically at her car. Mm-hmm. And she was planning on going to the BP, but then she was not the one who drove her car. Okay. And then they went on 77. I don't know. That's just speculation. Mm-hmm. But what I want to point out here is that the 911 call that came in, the first one was at 341. Well, we know at 341 that the car was in that red chunk, not mm-hmm. where the car ended up. How was that possible? Oh. And we know that she was pronounced dead at 340. But again... That's in that red. That's in that red thing. But her car is in her cell phone ping at three forty four up the road. So did that person on the first nine one one call see something? So I want to make a couple other points about this map. So if they left at three o'clock from the nip and queue, which everybody's saying it was around that time frame. Well, if you're looking at this map, you can kind of see the distance of locations. It's a little bit hard to actually tell. I literally mapped it out. So I'm going to tell you. So if they left at three from the nip and queue, it was enough time for them to all get in whoever's car to stop at Freddie's house and to stop at Brian's house, regardless of which order they did it, because that's inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And then go to McDonald's and be at McDonald's at 328. That is possible. That is 100% possible with them leaving at three o'clock. Right. Now, Kristen, Julia, and Katie were together at 328. 
Because when she's on the phone with Toby, Toby hears Kristen and Kristen admits to being there when she was on the phone. So does Katie. Mm -hmm. So we know they're together. Well, we also know where her phone pinged, which is not at that McDonald's at 328. So it's not possible that if that time is correct on the McDonald's timestamp, it is not possible that those girls are with Freddie in that car at McDonald's if they are also listening to that phone call that is pinging all the way over here by Brian's house in the interstate. It's not possible. Shut the fuck up, Valerie. And then, so it very, and you know, they're talking about where her keys are. So it's very possible at 328, they're at Brian's house arguing about her fucking keys. Right. Now, where's my key? Give me my keys. Right. So, okay, well, who gets behind the wheel of the car? Because if it's Kristen, I don't know where Kristen lives, by the way. So if it's Kristen Mm -hmm. and they get in the car and then she's like, okay, I just told Tommy to meet me at the BP. Well, Kristen goes on the interstate. Okay, well, I got to call Toby back because we're not fucking going to the BP. Right. Calls Toby, changes the location of where they should go because, you know, driver goes a different way than she thought. Well, if you look at this map, Freddie from McDonald's could take 68 up and pick up Katie and Kristen. You see where that road intersects? Yeah. It intersects in that red line. It sure does. If you were to come from the BP, from McDonald's and BP are on the same, or it's like on a, like a a really close by road. Like, I don't know if it's actually the same road, if we have to actually physically turn, but they're right up the road from each other. So if at 328, he's at McDonald's and he cuts up that road there, which is 68, he would then be able to get on the interstate right where that red line is, where her phone pings at 341 and be there by then. Right. That time frame is possible. So... That is very possible. That makes, the the way you're saying this makes like a lot of sense to me right now. Yeah. And also, Julia's phone is in the area of Brian's house starting at 320. So again, this whole thing is lining up with them being there right then. And Freddie's saying, you know, I didn't hear anybody talking on the phone in the car. It's like, yeah, because you weren't fucking with them. We don't know who was in the car with him. We have no idea. Hmm. So then it should only take about from the yellow line where she where her phone is pinging at 3.33 when she's calling Toby again, right? To tell her the location's changed. Mm-hmm. It should only take three minutes from where that yellow line is to where her car ended up. But eight minutes later, her phone is still pinging in that red line. Right. Where that first 911 call came in. At most, it should have taken three minutes to get through that section. And we don't know when her phone exits that red line and enters the end scene, except to Mm -hmm. say that her phone pings at 341 in the red line and 344 on that white dash. So if she was still driving and had wrecked, regardless of how long this bizarre scenario that the police concocted would have taken, her phone would have pinged at her resting place well before 341. Right. But at 341, she's on the red line. Oh, man. Because her cell phone was not on her body. Let me just no, remind everybody of that. We're not car. talking about, exactly. We're not talking about where her body was in compared to her car. No, we're talking about where's her body, where's her car. Her car at 341 was on the red line. Did somebody hit her with her car and then put it in gear and let it ride up the road? <laughs> you know, that three minutes later, like it was pink. really plausible right now. Yeah. And then it would have been easy for in this scenario, you know, Freddie to come up the road up you know up 68 and catch them on the highway right there because where they enter the highway right there is that red line can i just point out something that i just thought about when you were saying that freddie could have definitely like came up to the scene and stuff so 
that first 911 call that we read, he was saying there was a guy standing there. Yep. So, like, he, like, obviously seen Julia. That wasn't a guy. So who was the guy that was there? Right. So that furthermore backs up your theory that it could have been Freddy. I'm, you know, it, it just, if the shoe fits, you know. Right, 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 right. For me, like, all speculation, but just based off of the fact that there was no way that they could all be with him based off of what you just presented to us. Right. So it kind of seems like a cover-up, and therefore, I feel right now where I stand is the girls started arguing Maybe not all three of them, maybe two of them, or maybe all three of them did because Katie could have been upset that Julia was dancing with Chris, so she could have been arguing with her about that. And then Kristen and Julia could have been arguing about the fact that Kristen lost her key, so there's that. So all three of them could be fighting, and then she's like, whatever, I'm just going to call, I'm going to call Tabby, or I'm going to call somebody. Somebody snatches the phone from her, puts it in the driver's side. She can't reach it. Then they start getting into, like, maybe they start getting into a physical altercation in the car. Things kind of go crazy. And maybe, you know, she, the driver slams on brakes. That's how Jalea hits her head on the windshield. But that still doesn't explain how the passenger side window is blown out. But either way. Maybe she flies out the window. Maybe she legitimately flies out the window. I'm not discounting that that could happen if she's in the passenger seat, yeah. especially. And then, okay, so then she flies out the window. They see what happened. And then at that point. Hit her with her own car. Yeah, she hits her with the car. Airbag deploys because she's sitting in the front seat. Yep. But Julia is then decapitated and all of that. And so they get out, start freaking out, put the jacket on the thing folds up the clothes, put it right there. And then Freddie comes and they put the car neutral. However, push the car, get it out of the way. They leave with him. And then that truck comes and runs her over. Yeah. All of that's very possible. And what's interesting here too. I mean, just going back to the 911 call that happened, you know, when her car is in the red, like he's saying there's a car that's broke down. The car's not moving. When he's calling. No. And we know that the car's not where it ends up. Mm-mm. So, and he sees somebody standing by the car. Right. Like, I just... And he says it's a guy. He could be wrong. It is dark out. And I, you know, yeah. I discounted that. You know, the other guy said it was a guy, too, that's, you know, that's on the ground. Like, we don't know. That's fine. Yeah. He said, you know, but he also said he couldn't see anybody standing around. Yeah. So true. I don't know. But, like, my question is, did he see something in action? Like, did he see something? I mean... But why wouldn't he report it? He called. He didn't know what was happening. Like, I'm saying, like, did he he pass by this car and he called because he saw somebody on the side of the road, not realizing that, you know, like, also there's two other people there. Like, is that possible? Because to me, it's possible. It could have just been one other person. It could have just been Kristen in the car. Yeah, that's true. No idea. But they're using, you know, Freddie being in the car, getting McDonald's as an alibi. Well, first of all, Kristen says that she ordered something that Freddie says she didn't. 
<laughs> so like is she i mean which you know is an easy in my opinion easy mistake to make but at the same time like we're talking about you know did but she, she wasn't was she not with you because it doesn't really seem like right. she was if she was with julia and right, julia's phone exactly. wasn't at the mcdonald's so and if that time is wrong well then i think julia was in the car too it's as simple hmm. as that in my opinion i just don't see how you can accidentally get hit by your own car. And I don't understand how that kind of damage can happen to the back of your car with blood all over it if you didn't get hit by it. And you can't get right. hit by the back of your car if you fly out the passenger side of your car and then the car continue to roll up the road. Like, that physically is not possible. So, again, I just want to say, you know, we are not making any accusations. We're not putting blame on any of the people that we've talked about here. It's just interesting how they were in those possible places you know i'm just wondering how they were with julia if they were also at mcdonald's but we're not making any accusations we don't know anything there's probably a lot that we you know we're missing like we're just we're just speculating this is pure speculation with what has been given to us this is pure speculation but don't look good not at all you know i encourage everybody to go on to that justice for julia webpage and look on Facebook and just look at all of the pictures because really I just that's just the thing is at the end of the day you know we're not making an accusation but there are some serious inconsistencies that you know when you look at all these pieces together they don't make any sense for anybody's version of the story so I would just love to know what on earth happened and I can't yeah. imagine the you know how much this has consumed her family. No, definitely not. And we've only been talking about it for a few hours now, and like I'm in a dark hole. I'm in a dark headspace right now, mm-hmm. just thinking about it because there's so many endless possibilities as to what could have happened. Right. That if the police would have did their job, this would have been a little bit more like. I feel like it would have been a little easier to kind of figure out what the hell happened. Mm-hmm. And for me, in my personal opinion, this was not an accident. This was definitely a homicide. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a homicide. I don't know who I think did anything. I don't either. I honestly don't even know what I think happened. But I do right. think she was hit by her own car. I do think she was hit by her own car. And I do believe that she was not the, obviously she was hit by her own own car. She wasn't the driver. I do believe that there were multiple people involved though. Yeah, I can see that. But no matter what happened, it's an absolute tragedy that Julia was taken from this world. Absolutely. I do definitely feel bad for her sister having to find her sister that way. I can't imagine. That tears me up. Even though I'm not close to my sister, if I, God forbid, if I ever had to find her that way, I would be devastated. You have a sister? (laughs) I do have a sister. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I do. She's actually three years younger than me. (laughs) I don't know if I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. She gave me two nieces, so. But you do have nieces. I know that. I guess I don't know where I thought, like, maybe I thought that you were, like, calling somebody else's kids your nieces you know what i mean they were um immaculate conception <laughs> from jesus upstairs you never know <laughs> well just as a reminder the link for that justice for julia facebook page will be in our show notes and you can also find more information about 
you know, this case and about all of our updates. And actually, we have a newsletter that you can subscribe to so you can get all this information straight to your inbox. Also, all the information is on our website at craftstraffsandcrime.com. At dot com. At dot com. dot com. Perfect. Thank you guys for listening. I would love to hear everybody's opinions on this. Again, we're not making accusations. Please, nobody bash anybody or make any accusations, um, you know, publicly. Right. You can definitely speculate with us. Yeah. Um, in the comments or whatever. I mean, maybe that is publicly. But either way, also definitely, definitely, definitely go um, check out that Facebook page just for Jalea. Just take a look at the pictures. And definitely check out Valerie's map because that really put a lot of stuff in perspective for me. Definitely if you're a visual person, yeah, you should check that out. Yeah, that'll be on the Instagram and definitely take a look at that because it's, it's, you know, it's just an interesting way to look at things when you can visually see where somebody could have been. Right. It kind of makes it all come together. So I don't blame her mom for going as hard as physically possible into trying to get answers and she's doing all that she can and I just wish that there was some further way that we can help. So she is doing everything that she possibly can. And, you know, I really feel for her. So. Right. My heart goes out to her. Yes. To Kim and to Tobby and to, you know, Julia's grandfather and all of her true friends. Right. Family, friends, everybody. So sorry for you guys' loss. Yes. Okay. Until next time. Bye. Bye.